Well, good morning and welcome here. It's good to have you here on a beautiful, sunny Sunday. Uh, a couple announcements and then we're going to do some singing. Um, first off, I wanted to give you an update uh, on the fundraiser yesterday. As many of you are aware, uh, we had a, a fundraiser in the family center, uh, served a meal, did a garage sale. Um, huge success. Uh, between the two events, I think probably around $2,600 came in. And uh, by the time you uh, subtract expenses, it's still about $2,100, $2,200 profit. Last year, I think the profit was about 1000 so we doubled from that. Um, this year, I think we served around 300 sandwiches. Last year, I think we served around 200. So it was, it was a very good day. And so... And also just a huge, I mean, so many of you worked so hard. Um, Chuck was, you know, smoking pork for about three weeks prior to this. Uh, Joanne and Christine logged all kinds of hours getting stuff ready. So, um, yeah, huge thanks to, to all of you who helped. And to the cleanup crew. I, just a whole bunch of people decided to stay and help clean up. And thank you because it looks great in there. You can't even tell. So, uh, anyways, yeah, that was yesterday. Good day. Uh, next weekend is the church camp out. So we are not doing anything here. Everything is happening out at Timber Lake. If you show up here, you'll probably have to just gather in the lawn and be lonely because um, we will all be over at Timber Lake and this place will probably be locked up. But uh, you're all invited, of course. Um, if you have not signed up, please let the office know. And uh, we do want to get you on that list. Um, a couple things about that. Uh, we're doing a, a Saturday brisket meal, of course, that you're all invited to. And then whoever wants to spend the night will have all kinds of games and activities and swimming and biking and just good laughter. Um, then we're going to do a church service, 1030 in the morning, kind of same location where we did last time. And then we're going to do uh, a meal afterwards. Um, the meal, the Sunday meal, we are asking that it be a, a bit of a potluck. We're going to provide the main dish, hamburgers, hot dogs, all that, but... Uh, if you could just bring a bag of chips or a salad or something like that uh, on the side, that would help us out. That would be great. Uh, and also, we're not going to do an offering out there. Just It's easier. So just double up this Sunday and next Sunday, and we'll be good. Okay? No one tracked on the math on that. That's fine. Um, also, Utah VBS is this week. We commissioned these guys last week, but they are leaving Monday, Tuesday, headed out there. So... Um, be praying for them, remembering them. They're going to be, be gone this week and then getting back next weekend. So we are really excited for that. Uh, lots of other announcements. Um, uh, lots of good stuff in your bulletin. I encourage you to, to check that out. Uh, some neat stuff on, on quilting class, on, on prayer, um, on writer's workshop, on VBS. Some, some really good stuff in there. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for a good day yesterday. And uh, all the finances that, that people so generously uh, brought in, all the hard work that, that people so generously did. God, we do pray for this upcoming Utah VBS trip, uh, that your kingdom would expand in Utah, that you would be glorified, that people would proclaim you Lord and Savior. God, we pray for this morning, uh, that your truth would be spoken, uh, that your spirit would be experienced, Lord, and that your name would be honored and glorified as we sing to you this morning. Amen. Psalm 18. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my protection, my savior. My God is my rock. I can run to him for safety. 
He is my strength and my saving. He is my shield and my saving strength, my defender. I will call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I will be saved from my enemies. What awesome promises and truth that God is our rock. He's the one we can run to. He is our strength. So let's sing about those truths today and just proclaim God and Jesus as our rock. So let's stand together.
never leave us or forsake us.
you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, it is our desire that our entire life be spent, be completely worn out to glorify you, honor you, praise you. Lord, it's our desire that all that we are, all that we have, be in your service. Lord, bring you praise. Lord, forgive us our sins. And thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. there are things in our heart that weigh us down and we lay those before you and we ask Lord is there a, a role or a responsibility that we have is there a course of action that you want us to take God gift to us that you would invite us to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks, worship team. Well, we are on a journey of exploring this word disciple. 
Uh, what does it mean to be a disciple, to make disciples? What's with this word uh, discipleship? And the reason that, that we're doing this, that, that we're going after this, is that Jesus, in one of his last statements that, that he makes, um, he, he says that he tells his followers that they should go and make disciples of all nations. And here's how it reads in the book of Matthew. Uh, Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Now this is the very last thing that Matthew records in his account of the Christ event. And that phrase has since become known as the Great Commission. Um, I don't think it's ever really, like, Scripture doesn't call it the Great Commission. Now your Bibles maybe put that heading in there. That's kind of a term that we've sort of ascribed to it. But we call that the Great Commission because Jesus was commissioning, he was authorizing, he was empowering his disciples to go and make other disciples. And we focus on this word, make disciples, because grammatically that verb is the core of this passage. It's not go, it's not baptize, it's not teach. The core verb is make disciples, and then everything else kind of builds off of that. And you grammar buffs are doing diagrams in your head, and that's great, and I love you. I I can't, but my commentaries tell me that's what's happening. Um, Now, it does get a little bit confusing, though, because the word disciple only appears in the gospel accounts and the book of Acts. So in the New Testament, we have the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These all are kind of firsthand observations of the Christ event. Then we have the book of Acts, which is the um, kind of the, the record of the early church. And then after that, we have a whole bunch of letters written by people to people. Well, the word disciple, though, only appears in the gospel and, and the book of Acts. After that, writers use different terms, but they're describing the same concept. Uh, for instance, Paul uses words like saints, the called, in Christ, pilgrims, servants. So you, so you see Paul using different terminology to describe the, the same thing. And so while the, the core idea is to be a disciple and to make disciples, we kind of need to be on the lookout in the New Testament for some of these other words that, that get, get used because they really do give us not only a broader but a much deeper understanding of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I mean, to, to also say that we are exiles, right, for Jesus Christ, to also say that we are the called, uh, to also say that we are saints. I mean, it just, um, our understanding of this word disciple is so much richer uh, when we understand these other things are connected to it. To help us understand to what it means to be a disciple, we are uh, reviewing the, t- the original 12 disciples. And as a visual cue to help us remember that, we are working through Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper because it's a nice picture that has all the 12 apostles on it. And um, as we've talked about before, um, the original one was kind of roughed up. It's on a dining hall in a, in a monastery in Milan, Italy, and it's kind of had a rough life. And so we're actually going off this one, uh, which was done by one of his contemporaries. And we're just working left to right. Um, so, I mean, not only is can you just kind of say fun things at parties about the painting, but it just kind of helps you remember um, who was who. Starting on the far left, of course, and... and well, let me say this, too. The, the thing that we're doing, remember, as we go through these 12, is that we're looking for storylines that we can connect with. Remember, these were very ordinary men that had lives that all of us could relate to in some capacity. They encounter Christ. They are transformed by Christ. 
and then their life takes kind of a different trajectory. So we're looking for storylines that, that we can connect to, that we can relate to, and hopefully in some ways those become our storylines as well too. Because it is not enough to be inspired. The goal is also to become. Okay? Starting on the far left, Bartholomew. Bartholomew, uh, according to legend, became one of the most adventurous disciples. Uh, traveled all over. I mean, uh, Ethiopia, India, um, uh, I think Armenia. I mean, like if you're picturing on the map, that's a big triangle uh, all over the place. So, so this is a storyline for those of you who love to travel and try new things. Uh, you know, where an airplane is just a bus for you. Uh, for those of you that know right now where your passport is, um, this, is this is a storyline for you. Legend has it that he was skinned alive in Armenia. James the Less, we know almost nothing about this poor man who got the nickname James the Less. He was actually a remarkable man, but they needed to distinguish him from James the Great, and so they called him James the Less, or younger. Um, sometimes we have stories, parts of our stories, where we ask, did anyone see? Like, does anyone care? Did anyone notice? Will anyone remember? And we know from Scripture that God remembers and God knows and God has kept a very detailed record. And He will not forget. In fact, He will remember and honor that for all eternity. Tradition holds that this man was crucified in southern Egypt. Andrew. Andrew is for those of you who don't prefer the limelight, who like to work in the backgrounds, who prefer the one-on-one conversation. This is though for those of you who, in a crowd of 5,000 people, you still manage to connect with the, the, the kids and the one youth, and you just happen to know that that one kid brought five loaves and two fishes, and then suddenly that becomes the center point for the entire story. You are fine with your brother up on stage uh, doing the, the, the big preaching. You love connecting with the individual. This is for those of you who don't mind it when those who follow in your footsteps become greater than you, more popular than you, more well-known than you. This is for those of you where even though you were the first, it gives you great delight and joy to see others really take the ball and run with it just in, in ways that you never even imagined. Andrew is uh, believed to have been crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. Judas. O sinner, repent like Peter and not like Judas. Peter ran to Jesus, he received forgiveness. Judas ran away from Jesus and he hanged himself on a tree. Also, when we talked about Judas, there was the encouragement to finish strong. We talked about this couple, John and Ev Weems, who in their mid to late 60s became missionaries. And when he died rather quickly from cancer, they said at his funeral that he sprinted across the finish line. And that encouragement for each of us, that we sprint across the finish line. Peter, we know the most about Peter. So there's lots of connecting points on Peter. For some reason, all four Gospels seem to highlight his spiritual journey uh, as sort of a representative for all of them. Uh, He likely held some leadership role within the group. Peter was married. In fact, legend holds that he and his wife were martyred together on the same day together. Apparently, Peter was crucified upside down by his personal request. Um, All this taking place in Rome. But with Peter, we see so many of his faults and errors, and yet it makes him so relatable. Uh, 
his journey gives us a roadmap of what it's like to be changed by Jesus. And we also see within Peter forgiveness after a really grievous sin. After so adamantly claiming that he would never deny, he does deny. And not only does he deny once, but he denies three times. And it's not in front of powerful people. It's in front of, uh, like, the maid. I mean, it's just um, really grievous sin. And once again, to run to Jesus like Peter, not away from Jesus like Judas. John. John was the youngest. He also lived the longest. Known initially for a hot temper, he would write some of the most powerful works on God's love. Uh, most notably, First John. John was a man whose character was changed by Jesus. And so th- this storyline is for those of you where you can definitively say, this was my character before Jesus. This is my character after Jesus. Or this is my character as it continues um, under construction under Jesus. Legend holds that they attempted to kill him. In fact, one account records that they attempted to kill him in the Colosseum uh, by dumping him into this big vat of boiling oil and that he walked away unscathed. And apparently even the whole Colosseum saw that, converted to Christianity, and since they couldn't kill him, they just exiled him to the island of Patmos, where he lived out his days. And in fact, this is the first I had heard this, it's possible that he actually did his, his writing and even wrote the book of John after all of his co-workers had been martyred. Knowing that he was the only one left, that all the others had died, he wrote his account of Jesus. John is often, John often calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. And I would say this storyline is for those of us, for those of you who just who have that genuine love for God. I mean, for many of us, love comes through obedience and commitment, and that's very good, that's very scriptural. But for some of you, you feel the emotion. You, you feel the fluttering heart. You feel the excitement. This storyline is for you. Today, we're going to cover Thomas. We're going to cover James the Greater. Uh, we're going to cover Philip. Uh, next week, we're going to cover Matthew and Jude and Simon. And we are actually going to touch on Matthias, uh, who has actually the 13th apostle. He was the one who was chosen to replace Judas. And I, I don't think we really know anything about him, but uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll tell you what we, what we can find out about the guy. But he's, he's kind of this almost a forgotten, forgotten apostle. Thomas. Let's talk about Thomas. Uh, in the picture, you know, Thomas is, is known for being doubting Thomas, where he makes the claim that unless I put my finger in Jesus' side, I won't believe. So Thomas is painting as having just a really long finger. I don't know. It's like three quarters of his face. Um, then we have James. His expression is like, whoa, 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 no. Uh, and I don't, Philip, I don't know what, Philip, I don't know. I don't get his expression. Uh, what's going on there. Thomas. Thomas is called uh, Thomas um, uh, uh, Didymus. Um, his name means twin, but then we don't know what to do with that. So, like, was he a twin? Was there another one? We're not sure. His name means twin. Uh, Thomas lived in Galilee. A tradition uh, says that he labored in uh, Parthia, Persia, India, and that he actually suffered, um, uh, died as a martyr in India. Uh, Thomas was his Hebrew name. Uh, Didymus was his Greek name. At times, he was called Judas. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us nothing about Thomas. Nothing. 
It is only John who records actual events or conversations about Thomas. Uh, Thomas appeared in the raising of Lazarus. We're going to come back to that. He says remarkable things. He appeared in the upper room where he wanted to, to have confirmation that Jesus had risen from the dead. Um, uh, oh, and then another time he also appeared in the upper room uh, just asking where Jesus was going. A tradition holds that he was a missionary to India. And there's actually a lot of evidence to, to support that. There's all kinds of kind of work supporting that Thomas was there. He probably sailed there around A.D. 52. He was called the Apostle of India, uh, worked alongside Bartholomew at least for a little while. Uh, tradition also holds that the man was a remarkable, uh, a skilled carpenter and builder, and that apparently there are still buildings from that era that, that reveal a Greek influence that are attributed to Thomas. According to legend, he was killed with a spear. And I found this. He reputedly preached to all classes of people, had about 17,000 converts, including members of the four principal castes. If you know India, that's kind of a big deal. Later, stone crosses were erected at the places where churches were founded. They became pilgrimage centers. Thomas ordained teachers, leaders, elders, who were reported to be the earliest uh, ministries of the church there. Thomas is nicknamed Doubting Thomas. And I think Thomas got a bad rap for that, honestly. Thomas requested confirmation that Jesus had been raised from the dead. This is how it reads in John chapter 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my fingers in the marks of the nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came, stood among them, said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God! Exclamation point. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. To me, Jesus, like, I, I don't feel like Jesus is giving him a hard scolding. I feel like rather he's just saying, I, I actually find Jesus very accommodating to his request. But then he does say, you know, more blessed are those who have believed uh, without seeing but here's why I think it's a little bit ridiculous to give Thomas a hard time. Because, folks, I have asked for greater confirmation for far less acts of faith in my life. I have asked for far greater confirmation for far less acts of faith in my life. Um, and I'm willing to bet that if you examine your life closely, it'd be the same. God has asked me to do the most minuscule things, and my response has been... I don't know, is that really you, God? Is that a good idea? Is this my imagination? I'm not sure. I don't think we should do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need an audible voice, and I'm going to need all the resources to come in beforehand, and then maybe I'll do it. Let, let, me, let me try this a different way, and I want to be very gentle with this, but, but this will help me to explain this a little bit, why, why I think Thomas actually still exhibited great faith. 
If I told you that last week I had lunch with our dear brother, Henry Kearing, would you believe me? Because that's what was being asked of Thomas. Unless your first thought was, oh, I want to connect with him, then your faith is really only equal to or less than Thomas. If you question that in any way, then you're really not in a position to call Thomas doubting Thomas. Our storyline connects with Thomas in far more ways than we realize. One of the few stories we do see about Thomas, he's actually incredibly loyal and incredibly brave. In John 11, at the resurrection of Lazarus, verse 6, so so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after uh, this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, kill you. That's how they did it back in the day. Kill you, and you're going there again? Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad uh, that I was not there, so you may believe, let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus was returning to Lazarus, okay, um, he was risking his life. Earlier there had been attempts to kill him. So when Jesus shows that he is determined to return, it is Thomas who speaks up first and says, well, let's go with him and we'll die with him. That is a remarkable statement of friendship, of loyalty, of bravery. He was the first one to say, if he's going to die, we're going to walk to our death alongside him. Remarkable statement. Thomas was, in, in these things we see a Thomas who is fiercely loyal and incredibly brave. In fact, the more that I get to know the apostles, the more I actually find da Vinci's painting a bit shallow. That he would highlight Peter's sword, that he would highlight Thomas's finger. I mean, these were men of incredible depth and character and bravery. I mean, I know da Vinci was a brilliant, genius dude, guy and all. But come on, like we could have picked some of the more heroic sides than just kind of these shallow aspects or these failures of their life. A couple of connecting points on Thomas. Thomas incorporated his trade into his ministry. His skill as a builder was not just a means of income, it was a means of spreading the gospel. The, the most effective person to minister to a builder is a Christian builder. The most effective person to, to minister to other lawyers is a Christian lawyer. The most effective person to minister to teachers is a Christian teacher. Thomas was remarkable at, at incorporating his trade and his profession into his ministry and, and really weaving them together as one. Thomas is a guy who makes one comment that gets completely misunderstood and blown out of proportion. People who do not believe that God would heal them critique Thomas for having a hard time questioning that God raised someone from the dead. You see the irony in that? Were you tracking with me on that sentence? Thomas is for those of you who have been misunderstood. Or where you said that one sentence... And then it just got blown completely out of proportion with no understanding of context. 
And Thomas is for those of you who are loyal, fiercely loyal. Loyalty is often overlooked, but what a remarkable virtue. James the Greater, sometimes called James the Elder. James was the brother of John. Their parents were Zebedee um, and uh, uh, Salome uh, was uh, his mom. Somehow they figured that out. Um, she may have been a sister to Mary, mother of Jesus. So there's kind of this rare chance that Jesus and James and John were cousins. I, that is new to me. Um, unconfirmed, of course. Uh, for James and John, it seems their father was somewhat successful in that his fishing business was large enough that he had hired hands. And um, so when they went to follow Jesus, they, they left a, a pretty thriving family business. Uh, they lived in Bethsaida um, and in Jerusalem. Uh, they were a member of the inner circle. Um, oftentimes we see Peter, James, and John being the only ones that are involved in something. Um, James preached in Jerusalem and Judea and was beheaded by Herod in A.D. 44 uh, in Acts 12. Um, it's reasonable to assume that um, James was older than his brother John, uh, because he's always mentioned first, um, and a couple of other reasons. James was also nicknamed Sons of Thunder. Um, that story, they were traveling, they were going to Jerusalem, they needed a place to stay, they were going to stop in a town that, that was Samaria and Samaria, they wanted to stay there. They said, no, you can't stay here because you're going to Jerusalem. So James and John had the bright idea to just call down fire from heaven and kill all of them. Uh, Jesus rebuked them because that's not very polite. And one of the more scandalous incidents is, is that they or their mother requested that James and John sit on their left and their right side in heaven. That, that in heaven, you have Jesus and then James and John get to sit on the left and the right. Incidentally, in the painting... It is James and John who are sitting on the left and the right of Jesus, right? Their heads kind of crisscross, but if you look at seating order, James and John are, are seated on the left and the right-hand side of Jesus. And, of course, that was a big honor, so the other ten disciples got irked with them. Uh, Acts 12.2 reports James' martyrdom, uh, the, the, that he was beheaded by the command of Herod. He is the only apostle whose martyrdom is recorded in the New Testament and so because of that, it is believed that he was the first to be martyred. And so, and because he only lives halfway through the book of Acts, there's really no tradition around James because he was martyred so early. In fact, so you have James martyred first, John, his brother, his younger brother, then outliving all the other apostles and passing away peacefully some 50 years later on the island of Patmos. His life was cut short. Um, after Jesus, he had about 12 years, and that was all. Um, Jesus also changed this man uh, from a short-tempered fisherman to a passionate preacher for Christ. He was also a man whose character uh, underwent transition. So for those of you who have been transformed by Christ, or for those of you who know someone whose life was cut short, there is a connecting point with James the Greater. And then Philip. Philip gets confusing, and here's why. In the book of Acts, there are two Philips. Or at least we think there's two Philips. Are there two Philips? We think there's two Philips. Maybe. Probably. All four Gospels named Philip. Once again, Matthew, Mark, Luke say nothing of Philip. 
you'd think Matthew and Mark would be a little bit more gracious to their co-workers. It is only John, once again, who names anything about Philip. Um, Philip is always listed fifth um, out of the apostles. For some people, that's significant. Some say not. Uh, Philip told uh, Nathaniel about Jesus. Uh, when Jesus is getting ready to feed the 5,000, he was in Philip's kind of home territory, so he turns to Philip and asks, how should we feed these people? A um, couple other times, Philip has conversations with Jesus. Uh, an interesting observation about Philip is when Philip told Nathaniel about Jesus, Nathaniel pressed back and say, no, Jesus can't be the Messiah because nothing ever really good comes out of Nazareth. And rather than argue, Philip's evangelistic approach is to simply say, well, come check out the guy for yourself. I'm not going to argue. We're not going to have this debate. We're not going to talk about Nazareth. Just come see for yourself and decide for yourself, which is actually a very powerful method of evangelism. Tradition holds that uh, he reached as far as... Um, uh, town that suddenly I can't pronounce, Syregia, um, and died a martyr in modern-day Turkey. And in fact, in 2011, archaeologists discovered a church where they say it's the resting tomb of Philip. Because of the structure of the church and because it's written all over the wall, they say this is where Philip is buried. So that's kind of cool because that was only a couple years ago. Is there another Philip? In Acts chapter 6, food distribution to the widows is not going so well. So the 12 say, hey, this isn't working. Let's appoint seven others to oversee food distribution. They appoint seven others. In those seven is a guy named Stephen and then a guy named Philip. Same Philip, different Philip. It feels like a different Philip because we have the 12 and then they talk about the other seven. That's Acts chapter 6. Almost all of Acts chapter 7 is dedicated to this guy Stephen who starts off waiting tables and then kind of goes beyond that ministry, does a preaching ministry and then gets stoned. And then pretty much all of chapter 8 is dedicated to Philip and all these things that he does. And then later on in Acts chapter 1, we see them talking about staying with Philip the evangelist who had, um, uh, like, daughters who, who ministered alongside of him. Some have argued that, that it's the same man. Some have argued that it's different men. Um, it does appear that it is two different men. But just as you're reading through Acts particularly Acts chapter 8, which I think is almost exclusively dedicated to Philip, probably, but unconfirmed, but probably talking about a different Philip. Interestingly, both men, and this is what's part of the confusion, both men had unmarried daughters who were very active in doing ministry with their father. And so that's created some of the confusion. Perhaps you are like Philip the Apostle, telling people about Jesus is important to you, but you prefer the subtle method of come and see for yourself. Or perhaps you are like Philip the evangelist who ministered to whole regions and saw Simon the magician uh, convert and, and, and had the conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch. And so telling people about Jesus is important to you, but you have the skill to do it in a big, a bold way where you see lots of people respond and people of power and influence respond. I think most of us, it's easier to relate to Philip the Apostle, soft-spoken initially, and our approach is, I'm not really going to argue with you. You just need to come check out Jesus for yourself. 
the storylines from today are not what I expected. I find them just interesting. Thomas, known as Doubting Thomas, but who's actually a very brave man who gets a bad rap for one comment. A comment that still exhibits more faith than most of us have. He went on to initiate a huge, huge following in India amongst all people groups with a good leadership system in place before he was martyred with a spear. James the Greater had his life cut short after only 12 years of working with Jesus. The only recorded apostle martyr is believed to have been the first. He gave up a successful life at home to follow Jesus and yet underwent the transformation of Jesus. And Philip the Apostle, who appears to be a soft-spoken man who encourages people to experience Jesus for themselves rather than simply to take his word for it. Folks, these were ordinary men. Before Jesus, ordinary lives. Lots of quirks, lots of faults. Then Jesus happened. Their lives are changed, their character is changed, their value is changed, their worldview is changed, and, and because of that, the whole trajectory of their life has changed. To be a disciple is going to take many different forms. All of our storylines are going to be a little bit different. But we remain united around this common vision, right? That God be glorified, that my life be spent being a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that my life be spent in helping others become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, the story of these men how you change them, how, how even in, in, in their quirks, God, that they glorified you. Lord, I pray for all of us here, for all of those who, who, who will hear, that we find a storyline that we can connect to, that we can relate to. And Lord, most of all, that our lives be spent serving you, glorifying you, being your disciple. And helping others to be a disciple in our unique way, in our kind of unique gifting, in our unique life experience, in our unique profession. That we'd be able to leverage all of that to help others love you and serve you. And that we'd see others call you Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Please stand with us as we respond.